We are slowing down in Exodus chapter 20, where the famous Ten Commandments are given by God to his people, the Israelites, at Mount Sinai. They are ten timeless moral laws that form the foundation of Western civilization and indeed provide a foundation for any man or woman who desires to live a blessed life. For you see, in addition to revealing God's holiness and our sin, the Ten Commandments also serve as the manufacturer's instructions for human beings. We were created by God and he designed us to function in a certain way. As our creator, he knows how we work best as individuals, couples, families, and communities. And here in the Ten Commandments, he shares that information with us, which is why we would be wise to pay close attention. I've seen a lot of people questioning God on social media because of COVID-19 and the fallout from it. Usually it's not very sincere in terms of seeking answers, so I let it slide, but the other day, I just couldn't help myself. I should have, but I didn't. There was a Facebook post uh, sharing the joint public statement that Greater Vancouver churches and denominations have put out regarding COVID-19. It's a great statement, and it calls on believers to do things like follow the law and the recommendations of health officials out of consideration for those in the community. And somebody's comment was something along the lines of, Good to see, although the God that has been absent since Adam and Eve continues to do nothing to help. And so I commented back, people back then ignore everything God says. People now ignore everything God says. People when something goes wrong, how could God let this happen? And my point was that it is ridiculous for us as people to completely ignore God's instructions for life and then complain about him when things go wrong. That makes about as much sense as being angry at the Dyson company because your vacuum cleaner no longer works after you tried to fill it with gasoline. It wasn't designed to work that way. And if you were that clueless about vacuum cleaners, you probably should have taken the time to read the manual and followed the instructions written therein. Manufacturers create things to work in a certain way. And the Ten Commandments give us profound insight into how we were designed to work best. So write this down. It's your first fill-in. The Ten Commandments reveal how we were designed to work best. The Ten Commandments reveal how we were designed to work best. And as we grow in maturity as believers, this is something we come to understand. As we grow in our knowledge of God and our knowledge of ourselves, we should find ourselves questioning and blaming God less and less because we realize that all the evil and pain we experience in life is due to our failure to follow God's instructions personally, communally, and across history. Instead of blaming God, we begin to move toward intercession and prayer, acknowledging our faults and asking the Lord to be merciful. Instead of being angry at God, we grieve over the brokenness of our humanity and we long for the day when we are with the Lord and we are equipped with new bodies that will finally follow our manufacturer's instructions perfectly. What a moment that's going to be. What a moment that's going to be. But in the meantime, 
the more we are able to orient our lives to be in harmony with our creator's design for our lives, the more blessings we will experience across our lives. So make a note of this. The more we align our lives with our creator's design, the more blessed our lives will be. Last week, we read this verse from 1 John, and it bears repeating. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. As we align our lives to God's design for our lives, we experience more of his blessings. We experience more of his love. That's why John says that God's commandments are not burdensome. They're not rules to limit us, but principles that free us to enjoy the best version of life. God's commandments are for our good. So with that, let's jump back into Exodus chapter 20 at verse 7 as we read the third commandment together. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so the first thing we need to understand is what the original Hebrew is actually saying in this verse. The word take is the Hebrew word nasah, and it means to lift, to bear, to carry, to take. And so by definition, it doesn't have anything to do with speech. It speaks to a broader concept that can include speech. It's saying, you shall not bear or carry or lift up the name of the Lord your God in vain. The phrase in vain is the Hebrew word shav, and it means emptiness, nothingness, worthlessness, vanity, falsehood. And when you look at the original meaning of the Hebrew text altogether, what it's saying is, you shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in a way that makes it worthless, in a way that makes it empty and meaningless. So write this down. The essence of the original Hebrew is, you shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in a way that makes it worthless, in a way that makes it worthless. And so this applies to our whole lives. We've taken on the name of Jesus, literally. We are Christians, Christians. We carry the name of Jesus. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples, you shall be witnesses to me. In other words, you will represent me in the world. Peter told us the same thing when he wrote, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are God's representatives on the earth. That's part of the deal of becoming a Christian. You are accepting that responsibility and committing to do your best to represent the Lord faithfully. And it goes even deeper than that. It's not just something that happens when we become Christians because it goes even all the way back to what we were created for. You see, we were created in the beginning to represent God. We were created to image God. That's what it means in Genesis 1.27 when it says that man and woman were made in the image of God. Imago Dei in the Latin. And so when we shirk that responsibility, 
When we don't care about reflecting God to those around us, we are treating the name of God as though it means nothing. When we claim to be Christians, those who belong to Jesus and live for him, and yet it makes no difference in our lives, we are associating God's name with something meaningless. We are making it of no consequence. And so the concept is very, very simple. God's reputation matters. God's glory matters. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he begin his prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how Jesus began that prayer. That's how he taught his disciples to pray. When we act like God's glory or reputation doesn't matter, we're sinning. We're sinning. You can see how this would indeed apply to speech because when the Lord's name is used as an expression of surprise or shock or as a curse word, it's being treated as though it is meaningless. And that's why Satan loves to do it. There's a reason why people don't yell, Prophet Muhammad or Vishnu when they stub their toe. There's a reason why only the Lord's name gets used in that way. There's a reason why nobody even blinks when Jesus' name is used as a cuss word, but you'd be in danger of losing your job, or worse, if you use the name of any other God that way in the workplace. I would encourage you not to consume media that repeatedly takes the Lord's name in vain and treats it as worthless. When it comes to others using the Lord's name in vain, I would encourage you to ask the Lord what he wants you to do in each situation. He may tell you that you need to speak up and ask them to please change the way they talk. Or he may tell you to hold your tongue because he's doing something in that person's life. Ask the Lord in those situations. So yes, this command does cover our speech, but it's much, much bigger than that. Its definition is purposefully broad and it applies to our whole lives. We are commanded to live out our calling to represent the name of the Lord in every area of our lives. And did you notice that the back part of this commandment says this? It says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. As we heard from Paul, we are God's ambassadors, his representatives. We all understand that if we have a job, we represent the company we work for while we're on the job or even while we're wearing the uniform off the job. In some jobs, like teachers, they get told that they represent the school system at all times. And we all understand that if while we're representing our employer, we behave in a way that damages the company's reputation, we'll probably be fired. Unless you're part of a union, in which case you'll get a paid vacation. But I digress. Most of us understand that we would be fired. It makes sense to us that there would be repercussions for misrepresenting our employee. The truth is that we represent the Lord at all times. And we will experience repercussions when we treat the Lord's name as meaningless and worthless. Well, how so? Is God going to punish us? Is God going to fire us from his family? No, he's not going to do that. I can't claim to know the full extent of these repercussions, but I do know that there are natural consequences for treating the Lord's name as worthless. Jeremiah 2.19 says, your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. 
Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. When we treat the Lord's name as worthless, when we give no regard to his instructions for life, we will not experience the life that can only be found in him. As we choose to go our own way instead of his, we will miss out on experiencing real life in our relationships, in our work, our families, our work rest rhythms, all of it. This is why God says, I won't have to rebuke you. Your backslidings will rebuke you. There are natural consequences to taking the Lord's name in vain. The Bible says repeatedly that a fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Therefore, he or she who does not fear the Lord, who does not take the name of the Lord seriously, will experience the natural consequence of lacking what? Wisdom. Wisdom. You see, God's glory and reputation matter. It matters that we live our purpose to be the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God. Last week, we learned that the Ten Commandments concern external behaviors that reveal internal beliefs. In other words, our behavior is driven by our beliefs. So how does that reality apply to this, the third commandment? In my opinion, there are two main reasons why we don't live out this commandment. Firstly, we don't believe that we are actually Imago Dei. We don't actually believe that we're made in the image of God. Or secondly, we believe that we can follow Jesus and pick and choose where we obey him. That's the belief. Both of those are the main beliefs why we don't actually live out this commandment. In both cases, we fail to grasp the incredible importance of the task that we've been given. We fail to grasp the immensity of the purpose for which we were created. You, you were created to bear the image of God. You were created to bear the image of God. You, you were created to represent him on the earth. That's a staggering thing. If you're struggling to believe that, I would encourage you to commit the words of Peter and Paul that we read earlier to memory and remind yourself of the truth of God's word when you feel like you don't matter. You are part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people. And Jesus paid with his life to bring you into his family because that's how much you are worth to him. I would encourage you to read and meditate Psalm 139 if you're struggling to actually feel like you are made in the image of God. You can't tell yourself that your actions don't matter when you understand that we are ambassadors for Christ. To correct wrong behavior, you have to first identify wrong beliefs that are causing the wrong behavior. And then you have to replace those wrong beliefs with right beliefs. And the best way to do that is with the word of God. So whether you feel like it or not, you are an ambassador of Christ, his representative on the earth. If you think you're not that important, you're wrong. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. And if you think your actions don't affect God's reputation on the earth, you're wrong. You're wrong. His glory matters. I urge you to consider and spend some time this week reflecting on this question. 
when I make decisions and go through daily life, do I view myself as the Imago Dei, the image of God? When I make my decisions on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, planning for the future, and as I go through my daily life, do I view myself as the Imago Dei, as representing Jesus, as being made in the image of God, being his image bearer? Think about that this week. It changes the way you live. Let's read the fourth commandment together. We'll pick it up in verse eight. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Underline that. But in the seventh day, it's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And then underline this too. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So what makes the Sabbath the Sabbath? Well, based on the text, at its most fundamental level, the Sabbath is defined as taking one day a week to rest. And so that we don't cheat the concept, rest is clearly defined in the Ten Commandments as doing no work. The original Hebrew word is shaveth, shaveth, and it means to cease, to desist, to rest. The command is, is crystal clear. You have six days to do all your work, but no matter how it goes for those six days, the seventh day of the week is set aside for the Lord specifically. And here's the great news. Here's what God wants you to do on that seventh day. He wants you to rest, to rest. What a wonderful commandment. One that was radical to the Hebrews at this time because they had just come from Egypt where they had been slaves. They hadn't had a day off ever. Their parents hadn't had a day off and their parents hadn't had a day off and their parents hadn't had a day off and we could go back for a while. It was also radical because no other ancient Near Eastern culture at that time practiced the concept of a day off. In fact, surrounding cultures in the coming years would mock the Israelites for taking a Sabbath because the idea was so ludicrous in an agrarian culture that was focused on productivity. So what's behind the Sabbath? What's the point? What's the internal belief connected to the external behavior of keeping the Sabbath? I think one of the best ways to understand the Sabbath is by comparing it to the concept of the tithe. In Deuteronomy 14.23, in the New Living Translation, the Israelites were told the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. God wants to be first in every area of our lives. But in certain areas, he knows that we're just, we're just extra resistant, you know? We just sort of chafe against doing things his way and putting him first. So in some of these areas, God gives firmer, more specific, more defined guidelines. He doesn't just leave it up to us to say, oh, well, you figure out what it means to put me first in that area. And guess what one of those areas is? It's money. It's money. So God said, give the first 10% of your income to me. Put me first in your finances. Trust me with that money and watch what I do. I'll take care of you. 
That's what the tithe is all about. And so guess what another one of those areas is where we have a really hard time putting God first? Time. Time. We have a hard time prioritizing God in our schedules. So the Lord said, I want you to take one day a week and dedicate it to me. And make doing that the number one priority in your weekly schedule. Trust me with that time and watch what I do. I'll take care of you. What's true of tithing is true of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Write this down. As the tithe teaches us to trust God with our money, the Sabbath teaches us to trust God with our time. As the tithe teaches us to trust God with our money, the Sabbath teaches us to trust God with our time. The tithe shows that we trust God and understand that all our money ultimately belongs to him. The Sabbath shows that we trust God and understand that all our time, all the days of our lives ultimately belong to him. For the Israelite at this time, God connects the Sabbath to his creation of the world. The idea being that it's a day to acknowledge your creator. It is a day to rest in and contemplate the goodness of God and how his kindness caused him to redeem Israel from bondage in Egypt. For us as the church, the Sabbath is a day to remember how Jesus redeemed us from bondage to sin and death. But the rest part, the resting of the Sabbath, carries additional weight for us as the church because it is intended to remind us that Jesus has fulfilled the law in our place and saved us by grace. The resting part of the Sabbath is intended to remind us that our work is finished because Jesus finished it in our place. We're not under the law. We're not judged by works. We are under grace. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The work is done. And he says in Hebrews 4.10, for he who has entered his rest, that's you and I, has himself also ceased from his works. We've stopped all our works under the law now, as God did from his. So Jesus finished the work. Jesus is not doing any more works because the law is fulfilled. So those who belong to Jesus have ceased trying to do their works under the law as well. Right now, what is Jesus doing? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he seated? Because the work is done. It is finished. And so Jesus is resting in his finished work. And so you and I are called to rest on a weekly basis, on a Sabbath, in recognition of the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. We rest because Jesus has finished the work. The Sabbath reminds us of the message of the gospel. I'm not blessed because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done, continues to do, and will do for me in the future. Praise God for that. Would you make a note of this? We rest on the Sabbath to acknowledge that Jesus has finished the work. We rest on the Sabbath to acknowledge that Jesus has finished the work. As a point of interest, I think it's worth mentioning that there are some Bible scholars who see a pattern in Scripture related to the Sabbath and the history of the earth. 
If you believe in a young earth using biblical dating, then you hold that the earth was created around 4,000 years before Jesus was born, and it has now been around 2,000-ish years since Jesus was born. So 6,000 years total age. Concerning the end times specifically, Peter wrote, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And then in Revelation 20, in John's vision, it talks about the millennial kingdom, a coming time in the future when Jesus will return to the earth to reign with his saints for a thousand years. So some look at that and say, wow, if Peter is right, then it lines up with a thousand years being the equivalent of a day in the Lord's calendar. If the earth is roughly 6,000 years old, then we're right there at the end of the sixth day. And what's the seventh day? It's the Sabbath. Perhaps the millennial kingdom is intended to be the earth's Sabbath. A thousand years of rest as Satan is bound up, Jesus reigns on the earth, and all things are returned to an Eden-like state of peace and shalom, as the Hebrews would say. Is that view correct? I don't know. I'll leave that up to you to decide. I just thought it was compelling and interesting enough to share. So let's be clear about what a Sabbath is. It's one day per week. It's marked by doing no work. It's to acknowledge the finished work of Jesus, and it's to give God priority in our schedule. In our family, we add the guideline that that whatever we do on that Sabbath, it has to give us life. It can't be draining. It has to recharge us. Play with the kids until it gets draining. Have people over for dinner as long as they're not draining. Read and study as long as it's not for work and it gives you life. Watch sports, watch a movie, walk or hike, go swimming, take a nap, eat good food, stay in your pajamas all day unless you're also going hiking. Pray, listen to some good music, listen to some worship music, but whatever it is, it has to give you life. It has to recharge you. It can't be work. It's got to be rest according to the scriptures. The Sabbath is a gift from God to bless us, not to burden us. That's why Mark 2.27 tells us, and he, that's Jesus, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's not meant to be a burden on us, something we have to do. The Sabbath was made for man to bless us. Well, Jeff, listen, listen. I'm wired different. I don't get tired. I've got lots of energy. It's not work for me. I'm just a productive guy. I just have that ability to keep going and get more done. I understand that most people might need a Sabbath, but honestly, you know, I don't. Well, first of all, it's a commandment, okay? It's a commandment. Look at the company it's in. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's beside things like thou shalt not murder and thou shalt have no other gods before me. I don't know what else God would have to do. I don't know where else he would have to place this commandment to convey to us that the Sabbath is a really big deal to him. So firstly, do it anyway because God tells us explicitly in his word that it's important to him. And blessing him should be more important to you than getting in some extra work hours. Secondly, If you think back a few weeks in our Genesis study, you'll recall the miracle of God providing his people with food from heaven, manna in Exodus 16. 
And do you recall his instructions? They were to go out every morning and gather what they needed. They were not to store anything for the next day except on the sixth day. On that day, the Lord would send a double portion so that they would not need to gather anything on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, because the Lord wanted them to rest on the Sabbath. But if you'll recall, there were some guys who said, man, this is a golden opportunity to get ahead. While everybody else is chilling out and kicking back, we're going to be hustling. We're going to be getting that bread, literally. We're going to be gathering extra manna and getting a head start on the week. Productivity, baby. But do you remember what it says happened? It says, they found none. They found none. They went out together and they came back empty-handed. But Jeff, I mean, that doesn't apply because, you know, I, I am getting ahead. I am getting more work done by working on the Sabbath. I am making more money. But listen, listen. You're going to gain nothing. You're going to gain nothing. If you reject God's offer of rest, you will not find it apart from him. There is no other way. You might get ahead. You might get the bigger house or the faster car. You might get more money, but your soul will not be satisfied. You will never feel truly refreshed or truly at rest. You'll feel like you're on a merry-go-round without the merry. The daily grind will grind you. Because a bigger house, a faster car, nicer clothes do not give your soul rest. True rest is found only in the presence of the Lord. And that's what the Sabbath is for. A nicer car will help you rest about as much as it will alleviate your daily need for water. They're not related in any way. Getting ahead will not get you rest. Thirdly, to the one who would say, well, I don't need a Sabbath, I would posit this question. (laughs) Did God need a Sabbath? Did God need a Sabbath? When God rested on the seventh day after creating the world in six, was it because he was like, I just, I, just can't, I just can't go on anymore. I am so tired. Was it because his creativity was exhausted? Was he saying, guys, guys, listen, I'm out of ideas. Like, like have you seen humanity? I'm just, I'm just not doing my best work anymore. I just, I just can't think of anything else. Of course not. God is inexhaustible in every sense. He does not get weary, and he certainly, he certainly doesn't need rest. And yet he rested. And he did it to set an example for us so that we wouldn't be able to say, I should be exempt from taking a Sabbath. Really? You should be exempt from the thing that God did? Really? We're not better than God. He is our maker. He's our creator, and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you need. He knows how you were made. He knows how you were created to be satisfied in this life. You know, technically, you could use an iPad as a Frisbee. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. Things work best when they're, desi- when they're used as they were designed to be. Things work best when they're used as they were designed to be. And we were designed to enjoy a Sabbath, not to work seven days a week. Here's the crux of the heart issue, the belief behind the Sabbath. Write this down. Which do I believe will bless my life more? 
my own works or my obedience to the Lord? Which do I actually believe will bless my life more? My own works or my obedience to the Lord? You see, if you're working on the Sabbath, it's because you believe that your life will be more blessed by your work than it will by your obedience to the Lord. That's the bottom line, whether you realize it or not. That's the belief that you're acting out. And in Haggai 1.6, I ran out of room on your outline, so I couldn't put it on there, but it's Haggai 1.6. God says this to those who were neglecting him so that they could focus on building their own wealth instead. God says, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. God is saying, you're not going to get ahead by disobeying me. You're not going to get ahead by ignoring my commandments and thinking you know better than your creator. You're not going to get ahead by neglecting the Sabbath. You just won't. One way or another, you just won't. You know, when I counsel people who are in financial crisis, one of the first questions I ask, whether they attend my church or not, is I ask, are you tithing? Are you tithing? Why? Because if they're not, they're not walking in agreement with God. So how am I supposed to help a person experience God's blessings and God's provision if they refuse to agree with how God's word says we are to handle our finances? I don't have some cheat code or or, or the ability to override God's design for how we are to handle our money. If God says, I'll meet your needs if you do this, and we refuse to do it, there's nothing I can do to circumvent that. The solution is to get in agreement with God. In the same way, if you find yourself exhausted, if you never have enough time, I'm not saying this is always the case. I'm just saying the first question that I'm going to ask you is, are you taking a Sabbath? Are you taking a Sabbath? Because if you're not, your time is not blessed. And more money is not going to fix that. More productivity is not going to fix that. Step one, in any situation, any crisis, any problem, any struggle we're having, step one is asking, what does God's word say that I am to be doing in this area of my life? Step one is always to ask yourself, am I out of step with God's word, God's design, God's instructions? Amos 3.3 is a verse that every Christian should have memorized. If you don't commit it to memory, it's crazy short. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? The Lord says that. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? If you want to walk with God, you've got to agree with God. And that means doing things his way, according to his word. If you're waiting until you have extra cash before you start trusting the Lord with your finances, you never will. If you're waiting until you have extra time to take a Sabbath, you never will. Both are steps of faith. It is a choice to say, obeying the Lord is my priority, period. I'm going to do this first, ahead of everything else. If I do one thing this week, I got to honor the Lord with my time.
It's a choice. It's a step of faith. Don't wait for your circumstances to line up. You make your circumstances line up with the word of God. Amos 3.3, get in agreement with the Lord. Now, real quick before we end, I just want to hit on a question that comes up a lot regarding the Sabbath. People will sometimes say things like, well, Jeff, you know, in Jesus' day and throughout the Old Testament, the Sabbath always referred to Saturday, which is true. Therefore, the Sabbath is only legitimate if it's practiced on a Saturday. And so this view is most famously held today by Seventh-day Adventists, who named their entire movement after this issue. And while there are many liberal Adventist churches today who don't hold the view in an extreme way, the founders of the movement actually taught that observing the Sabbath on any day other than Saturday was the mark of the beast talked about in the book of Revelation. And so the usual explanation that's given by Sabbatarians goes something like this. Hey, you know, the church was meeting on Saturdays until Constantine came along in the fourth century and fused the church with the Roman state, moving church services to the pagan day of Sunday. The historical problem with that is the rather large number of writings from the early church around the mid-second century that all refer to the church meeting and taking communion on Sundays, more than 250 years before Constantine was even born. And if you need those names, feel free to email me. I'll send them to you. But more important than the historical evidence is the scriptural evidence. Acts 20 verse 7 refers to, quote, the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. In 1 Corinthians 16.1, Paul instructs the church in Corinth to collect an offering at their church service, quote, on the first day of the week. And most compelling of all, Paul writes this in Colossians 2.16 and 17, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Paul doesn't say, listen, Saturday's wrong. Now it's Sunday only. What he says is, listen, the day doesn't matter. The day doesn't matter at all. What matters is that it's about Jesus. The day of your Sabbath doesn't matter. What matters is that you have a Sabbath, that you set aside a day of your week to honor the Lord. That is the issue. That is what matters. My Sabbath is on a Friday. That's just how the flow of my week goes. I work weekends. So listen, as we wrap this up, always remember that the Ten Commandments tell us what we should do. They tell us what we should do. But we can't keep them perfectly, especially in our own strength. We can't keep them at all. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in them. We can walk in them. As we surrender to God's leading every day, moment by moment, the Spirit empowers us to represent God. We can't represent God by just getting up and saying, I'm going to focus really hard on being good today. Can't do it. You can't do it. That's what the law was all about, proving that we can't do it when we try to do it in our own strength. The goal is what we call abiding in Jesus, that we get up and we say, Jesus, help me to be aware of you today. Help me to listen to your spirit. And then throughout the day, we're trying to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. We're trying to listen to his voice, keep that sensitivity, pray about little things throughout the day and surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're not striving to be good. We're trying to surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
If God's commandments ever seem burdensome, it means we're trying to do them in our own strength. Don't do that. That's legalism. That's the law. We're dead to the law. The law doesn't work. It just proves that we're guilty of sin. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's where our power comes from. And when we understand even a little bit of just how good our Heavenly Father is, it becomes easier and easier to trust Him, easier and easier to surrender to Him. But listen, the stuff we're talking about today, being an ambassador for Christ, we can only do that by surrendering to God moment by moment, day by day. But when it comes to keeping the Sabbath, there's some intentional choices we have to make there. There's some scheduling we have to do. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Obey the Lord. Change your schedule. Do what you need to do. I don't care if there's kids' activities or or whatever it is. Honoring the Lord is more important. So make sure that you're building your week around honoring the Lord with the Sabbath. You will be so blessed if you will do that. You will experience rest and refreshment in a new way because that's how God designs you to get it, through the Sabbath. So if you need to trust him in one of those areas we talked about today or any area, do it because the Lord is trustworthy. In Jeremiah 17, seven, it says this, blessed, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Hey, if you do things God's way, you'll be blessed. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be satisfied. You'll find rest. You'll find refreshment. You'll find joy. So trust the Lord. And with that, let's pray. Wherever you are, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the Ten Commandments which show us how we were designed to live so that we can experience the abundant life that you talk about in your word. Father, help us to surrender to the leading of your spirit. Help us to put you first in all areas, including the Sabbath, and to be led by your spirit moment by moment, day by day. Father, I pray for anyone right now having a hard time actually believing and feeling like they're made in your image. Father, I pray that you would just overwhelm them with your love, with a fresh understanding of how great the calling is that you have put on their life to be your ambassador, to represent you to those on the earth. What a calling that is. And Father, if we've taken your glory lightly, please forgive us. Help us to do that well. Help us to represent you well, Jesus. Father, for those of us who have, who have not taken a Sabbath, help us to do that. Help us to follow through. Help us to plan accordingly and honor you with our time. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to invite you to join us every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for our new live online service. This is something we've just started offering because of COVID-19, and it's a great way to join with our church from your home in worshiping and studying God's word every week. You'll find everything you need on our website at mynewhope.ca. And hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to that website, mynewhope.ca, right now, because when you get there, you're going to see a button that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So go to the website, click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. It's a huge encouragement to us. So shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through the teaching of his word. 
If you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. And then finally, I want to invite you to follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mynewhope.ca. I know a bunch of people don't use Facebook right now, but it really is the best tool we have for getting you updates and encouragements throughout the week. So I hope you'll join us on there. Hey, I love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed.